Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching. In this series, we will be studying the book of Malachi, where he gives a call to the people of God to return to the Lord. This book is full of hard rebuke and hopeful promise of the coming Messiah. We welcome you to subscribe and join us each Lord's Day so that you don't miss a single Sunday. But it is incredibly encouraging to see what we do as families with our children and in every facet of church life, you'll come to find we're about one thing. One thing. And that is this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We discussed this morning in Sunday school the interesting dynamic there is whenever we talk sometimes about moving beyond the milk of the gospel into the meat doesn't mean that we're transitioning and we're studying something different than the gospel, but we're drilling deeper into the same things, understanding more about the same things of the gospel. So in some way, we could say to get to the meat, you have to go deeper into the milk. Uh, so anyhow, uh, I hope that expression is not lost on you. This morning, it is very much about the same thing. A lot of Malachi is a difficult book because most of it is a rebuke. It's a rebuke of the people of God. It's one of the final words of God that were given before the coming of Christ. And so he's drawing us to a, a better understanding and, and a refresher course and a clarification of all of the prophecies that are go that's going to ready us for the coming of, of Christ and even the one in John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Christ. So we will see that in the coming weeks. This morning, the rebuke, if we were to summarize it, would have to do with profaning the covenant. Profaning the covenant. So we are going to read from verses 13 through 16. And we will see this, the way in which God is rebuking, namely three dynamics, three areas, I guess, uh, the way I've divided that, uh, the way that they're profaning this covenant in three ways among the people and perhaps how we could apply that and we could learn from this and, and, and direct ourselves as the true people of God even today. So if you are there in your copy of God's Word, Malachi chapter 2, I'll begin reading from verse 13, and I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Holy Word. God says to the prophet Malachi, and this have ye done again covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receive it with goodwill at your hand. Yet ye say, wherefore? Because the Lord hath been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. 
And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that you reveal your word to us. Lord, that just as the prophet has done with the institution of marriage, Lord, that we might come to understand you by way of marriage. And in this example of Israel, and Lord, that we might know something more of the way you have covenanted with us, like in marriage, so that we would walk in unity and in fidelity in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask that you guide our thoughts, our interpretations and understandings of your word, and even the preaching, as I seek to do it justice this morning. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. You may be seated. So just to recap here, what has happened is God's spoken to this people. He's addressed their infidelity in worship, the polluted offering that's been given by Levi, the priesthood. And then he's reflected upon the intermarrying of the people of Judah. And he's using this as this metaphor, as this example of their profane and false worship to him. He does this many times throughout all of the scriptures. He uses the life of the prophet or the life of the people to convey his meaning and his concern. But where he begins, and he has began, is with this polluted offering. He's concerned first with this polluted offering. This is why he began with the tribe of Levi. He began with the priesthood and how they would offer what was marred or what was taken by violence, what was not the very best or the first fruits of their crop, and they would offer it to the Lord. And he, even now, as he's addressing Judah, concerns himself with their offering. It's a polluted offering because of their false worship. What God knows is what Matthew Henry has stated, and it's a quote that is included at the bottom of your bulletin, that corrupt practices are the genuine fruit and product of corrupt principles. That this life that Judah is, the tribe of Judah is engaged in, finds its root, to use the metaphor that Chris did, and 
in comparing sin to a weed, it finds its root in a false or corrupt worship. So very pointedly, even looking to this issue of marriage that seems to be going on within Judah, we could say that the failure of marriages begins with an ignorance of the gospel. I think there's plenty of application in that today. It's sad that we as the church can compare ourselves so closely with Judah who did not have Christ and who hadn't seen the fulfillment of what we have seen as Christians. And yet how true is it that those who suffer corruption in marriage most necessarily misunderstand the way in which Christ has chosen a bride and sacrifices Himself for her and washes her in the water with the Word and reconciles the church to Himself. You see, if you have an understanding of that, how, how could you betray the godly and biblical picture of marriage? So your actions or an overflow of the heart. That's what Scripture clearly teaches. We could apply this to many different areas. The failure of families begin with the disintegration of their worship. Where families break down, it finds its root in their separation, in their fragmentation of their household in worship to God. Fact check that. Think of where we have constantly, even those who claim to worship this God, engage so often in separating their families in this hour of worship that God has called holy and set apart as a Sabbath unto Him. The failure of churches begin with their abandonment of true doctrine. You see, it is not just rejection that is the work of Satan, but compromise. Compromise is the ministry of Satan. So when God says this second thing, this thing I also have against you, and when He goes on to address marriage and this conduct of the life of the people even just within the tribe of Judah, He's saying it's a continuation of this problem in your worship and in your polluted offering that Levi has given. given a polluted offering and so follows this conduct in your personal life, your marriages, your homes, your families, your gatherings. 
So it leaves Levi to blame in the priesthood. It's true and it shows the significance and how important it is that Levi gives this false offering and they showed themselves to cheapen the worship of God. And it's had a hand in the way that Judah has cheapened their own offering that they bring before the Lord and the life that they live that makes their offering so worthless before Him. You see, it's not vague what God is addressing right now. Levi is this tribe who bore the priesthood who were the only ones who said, we have not bowed the knee nor will we, and they've been set apart exclusively for the service of ministering to the Lord and mediating between the people of God and God Himself by way of this priestly offering. The issue with Levi is their exclusivity. They had no inheritance at all except for God Himself. And then He concerns Himself with Judah who would bear the line of Christ. It's much more important than just a vague disobedience. Or that their worship would be mundane. It was the ones who would preserve the pure worship of the people of God and those who would preserve the pure line of God in whom God would receive, would raise up the seed from the loins of Judah, the king who would too be a priest and from whose hand the scepter would never depart. This is the prophecy that's made of the one who would come in the line of Judah. So this polluted offering has produced an unclean people. An unclean people. The polluted offering has produced an unclean people. Consider the state of Judah and the people of God. They've got, they're, they're treating as mundane and they're taking the bottom of the barrel or like we said, that which is with spot or wrinkle or that which has been taken by violence and they're offering it to the Lord. And, and we've got the people of Judah, there's been this command to preserve the line, to not intermingle with the people of the false gods. And yet they cheapen that and they intermarry with them so that it really doesn't matter. And their, their, their life and livelihoods and their worship is really arbitrary and without consequence. And Lord knows the practices. How would the household then offer if they also have a worship of these inanimate gods and lesser gods and they treated it as mundane? And God reveals the nature of this situation in showing His concern for them as a people. Maintaining the purity of the people of God as a people of God, of the one true God. 
This is no different from everything God has always done. During the time for catechism with our children and as families, we talked about this first sin. It was an exclusivity. You will have fellowship with me. You will not seek knowledge apart from me. Wisdom apart from me. The issue God took with the people in Noah's day was that they had gone array with all of their idols and their debauchery and their worship of them. When God delivers the call to Abraham, the the entire premise of the promise is that I will be your God and in you will be my people. It is exclusive relationship. When God calls the people, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt and He delivers His law to Moses on Mount Sinai, what is the first commandment that God would give? You will worship Me and I will be the only God. You will worship none but Me. And only in the way that I've prescribed it. It is exclusive. Still, today, this is the promise that is fulfilled. You see, there is no one who comes to the Father except by Christ. We are His. You are a people set apart unto God. The the people of God belong to God. How often do we see the people of God exhorted, tear down the high places, put away these pagan wives, purify yourself explicitly to the Lord. Don't cheapen the worship or divide your worship among other gods. So God says this in His Word. He hashes this out because there's this argument that it seems that that Judah is giving. They've taken these wives from the daughters of false gods and they seem to argue our father Abraham did it. There seems to be this argument in place that they look back to Abraham who took Hagar as a wife. He did it. He was clean. He's the father of the faith. So what's the problem? It is still, the promise still resides with Abraham. God, undoubtedly, he, he showed that he's not departed from his covenant. He has has not left off of covenanting with His people. We see that. They had seen that in their day. Why so significant? We still worship the God Most High. What does it matter that we have sought this other way? Or maybe even if it was an error. But God calls them on their argument. says the Lord has been a witness against this and this wife 
of the youth. He says, why? Did he not make them one? And if he did, why did he make them one? Was it not for a godly seed? Now there's a couple of interpretations to this passage. The one is just the simple unity that God provides in marriage, making one flesh. And that he does so that there would be a godly seed. Not an ungodly one, not an unclean seed, but that there would be a a generation that God would raise up for himself that would be the people of God. Now, I think that has some weight given the history of Israel. We know that he does preserve for himself a people that is not marred by a bunch of false worship, a bunch of pagan gods, or a bunch of idolatry that they fashion with their own hands but that he would have a people who are set apart, who are exclusive in their worship, who the rest of the world would look upon and they would see, no, these people only have one God and it's this God. They have nothing in common with the worship of the God of the worlds, gods of the world, but that they would be of one God, of one mind, of one spirit, We see this play itself out in this oneness. Perhaps if we understand this to be, has he not made them one people? Reflecting on the one and exclusive people of God. I think it's true in some respects that there is. Those that are a covenant people of God. There are those that that are of the remnant. There are those that God will always have that belong to Him. And we see the way God has preserved this with each generation. Where does it stop? Or does God set His eye on some of the future generation? Has God set His love upon any of our children? Or is it unimportant that we raise them in the love and admonition of the Lord? Do we deliver our children over to false gods of our day? So He speaks of this seed making the purpose of a marital purity a generation that belongs to Him. If we seek to apply this in this way, at least, what do we say then of Christians? If we are to ask ourselves, how are we preserving this generation for the Lord? If his concern is that there would be a godly seed, that was Abraham's concern. So the argument goes is that that even Abraham was not just seeking debauchery in in taking illustrious wives of pagan nations because of their attraction or something else. No, Abraham's concern, even himself, was the godly seed. He had not seen a seed produced of his loins, and so he sought what God had promised. Even he wasn't so negligent or or so uh, saturated with sensuality. 
in his taking Hagar as a wife, even though he erred and sinned in doing so? Do you have any desire at all for a godly seed, for a remnant of God's people to continue to preach God's word to the coming generation? Are we like the people of God that is fulfilled in the church? Or are we like Judah? Is it sufficient to bring our children before the Lord one hour during a week? And then we can deliver them over five days. And more than this, nights and weekends to everything from so that we can disciple them, disciple our children in sports, socialist schemes, transgender ideologies, neo-pagan or, or humanist ideologies, evolutionary, atheistic philosophy. How many idols can we count in our day? Discipleship is the issue in this application. Do you disciple your children? Do we disciple one another? Are we a people about one thing? Sometimes there are good interests and good hobbies that can distract us from the one thing that we are supposed to be about. And yet what we see is maybe even the more pertinent application here, understanding that it was through Judah that God would raise that one seed. The one through whom would be that priest king from whose hand the scepter would not depart. The New Testament interprets so much of the promise of the seed of Abraham as Christ Himself. Not seeds or offsprings, plural, but the one, Jesus Christ, who would come from the Jews, not from all of the peoples of the pagan worlds. God is has chosen one man from all of the pagan nations and all of the pagan peoples. He pulls out one pagan man named Abram and he says, no, you're going to serve me, not any of the other gods. I will be your God and I will give you a seed that is after your loins as a people who worships me and I will be your God. You and all of your offspring will be my people and your offspring will be as the sands of the sea because it will be redeemed in the singular offspring that is Jesus Christ. It is exclusive. Not just in your rich tradition, but in the one man, Jesus Christ. The seed of Judah. which then makes it all the more important that we then walk in that. If indeed Christ is this seed, how much more important then has become this picture of marriage? 
How much more important then has become our obedience in worship? The discipleship of our children, it becomes even more important because it becomes even more exclusive when this gospel is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one who has made us clean. Who has made us a true people of God. No longer taught by the scriptures, but we have this revealed to us by the Spirit. This makes it even more important that they betrayed the covenant. God compares their impurity in marriage to their impurity in worship. This is not the first or only time that God does such a thing. This is a thoroughgoing metaphor that occurs Old Testament and New. It's interesting that we reading now from one of the final prophets before the coming of Christ would relate something so simple in this metaphor of marriage and this purity of worship whenever one of the more prominent and first prophets recorded in Scripture in Isaiah would do the same thing comparing this impure worship to the unfaithful wife. In Isaiah, God says this in 50 verse 1, For your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. He's comparing this false worship that Israel had engaged in to the unfaithful wife that is set outside for the purpose of divorce. Saying, I'm putting you away. You've engaged in this false worship. You've become the adulterous wife. So what's being compared to here in Malachi chapter 2? The unfaithfulness of their worship to the judgment of putting them away like an unfaithful wife. And yet it's the same metaphor that he relies upon whenever he promises redemption. Let me read from Isaiah 54, beginning in verse 5. The Lord says, For thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman, forsaken and grieved in the spirit, and a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, saith the Lord. For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies I will gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills removed, but my kindness 
shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. This is the rebuke that Malachi has given. You've put off this wife. Return to the wife of your youth. Surely he speaks of their their debauchery and surely he speaks of their polygamy and surely he speaks of 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 their forsaking of the covenant of God that is fulfilled within the people of God so that they don't have to go out to these pagan and idolatrous nations for their wives but surely he speaks of the covenant he himself has made with this people that they would be set apart pure in worship and in living. He says that he hates the putting away. He hates this regular practice of divorce among them. And he says they cover themselves with violence. And to guard ourselves from that. I think what's obvious this morning is that the church has become like Judah. In so many ways, we have softened and cheapened the Word of God. We've become careless in our living. It's not consistent with what Christ has accomplished. And so the way that you correct this is not by doing better but it is by coming to Christ. Correct your worship. Why did God address their worship when they had so many issues in their, in their living and in obedience? Because this is where it begins. We must be a people about one thing. So that you see, whenever we address obedience, it is in Christ. When we study deeper theology, it must be in Christ. It must be intrinsically related to and attached and engulfed in this glorious gospel. It must be one and the same thing. You can't leave here and do better. You must fixate yourself upon Christ and walk out this glorious gospel. Christ has accomplished these things. He is the seed. He is the king. He is the priest. He is the prophet. He is the word. And so it weighs upon our conscience this morning when we consider us as a body of Christ. Is our worship pure? Are our lives pure? When we come to worship from the Lord this morning, 
Have we done so haphazardly or nonchalantly? Have we laid our sins bare before the Lord? Do we come not trying to do better, but in repentance of where we have fallen short? Repent of our false worship. Repent of our disobedience that our worship would be true. Let us pray that He moves us to a faithful worship that we profane His covenant no longer. Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning. We ask that You purify us. Lord, as You always do, You call us to be a people about one thing. Lord, let us not profane the covenant of Your grace. Lord, let us not cast away the covenants that You have given to Your people through the ages to lead us to this new covenant that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be a people for Your own possession. You have made us new. Surely if we are yours, we have your spirit, your will, and your desires within us. Lord, we pray that you by your spirit would root out the weed and the root of sin that resides in our hearts. That we would be fulfilled, that we would be content in this wholesome worship as you have prescribed it in your word. Let us be a people, not divided, not scattered, not distracted, not stiff-necked or two-tongued, but focused and intent to live in light of this gospel that you have provided through your Son. Lord, we Pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us at New Life Preaching Podcast. We welcome you to return each Lord's Day as we study the book of Malachi and the call to return to the Lord.